So welcome to the World Extreme Medicine podcast with myself, Owen Walker. In this session, we're going to look at the Strength Deployment Inventory, or SDI, which is personality profiling with Steve Wood. So what I wanted to do is talk with Steve Wood, the Vice President of Delivery for Personal Strengths UK, as a facilitator, trainer, and senior manager within the Core Strengths Group. His extensive experience of developing and facilitating training is focused on leadership, team dynamics, conflict management, and personal development. Steve has worked in partnership with a number of UK organisations in developing and delivering programmes that may provide a lasting difference to both individuals and businesses. So what we're going to do in the, in the episode is look at the history and the background of the SDI, where it originated from, then look at some of the prominent psychologists involved in the formulation of the SDI, such as Elias Porter, look at Carl Rogers, and then we might look at other uh, other prominent uh, psychologists as well, such as Eric Erickson, Kurt Llewellyn, and Carl Rogers again, and his influence, unique influence on um, on the SDI profile. So what I also wanted to do is look at the relationship awareness theory, which is one of the pivotal theories used by the SDI. So Steve, as we sort of crack on with the interview, could I just maybe first get you to speak to why person- personality profiling is important? I think it's important because it gives people, um, and we talk about it as a framework, a framework to help you understand yourself um, a little bit more and also to help you understand anybody that you're having a relationship with, any colleagues, anybody at home, um, and explore things that you wouldn't normally explore. And I emphasize the word framework because we're not talking about putting people in boxes. What we're saying is here's a framework to help you understand yourself and i think that's one of the the key things that everybody says well i've got the psychometric it's true to me first of all but it's making me think about some things so it's about self-awareness and deeper thought really about yourself and others so looking at sort of its utility within high performing teams with constant changing priorities and external stresses and goals, how does the SDI relate to high-performing teams in that self-awareness and maybe that intra-team awareness? Well, the biggest thing we're talking to teams about a lot, whether that be a new team, an existing team, or the challenges they've gone through lockdown, is how well do you know each other? So it's about let's build trust, Let's let's be vulnerable, be willing to talk about things that we don't normally talk about. Because, you know, as many people say, Stephen Covey Jr. talks about this, is speed of trust. If we trust each other in a team, we're going to move quicker. We're going to make decisions quicker. Uh, It also enables them to have challenging conversations, debate about issues, rather than the issue where you can have passive agreement. Or we're, we're avoiding challenge because we keep falling out with each other and taking it personal. So with new teams, uh, I was working with a team just recently, and they had people who'd been together for eight years and thought they knew each other, but discovered during the day they really didn't. People who'd been in the team for two years, and what was interesting is there was one person that was on their onboarding week. And she sent me an email after the session and said, you know what, Steve, I don't think I could have ever have got to know my colleagues so quickly if we'd not had that session where we talked about things we wouldn't normally talk about. 
what motivates us, what energizes, what triggers conflict for us, what are we proud of, and why are we proud of that? How do we want to be valued? So it's about opening people up and the richness of the conversation, but then moving into how can we now really have challenging conversations that stay focused on the issue and don't end up with just passively agreeing or falling into conflict. So we use the SDI as part of human factors training in a number of courses and looking at sort of self-awareness, uh, relationship intelligence. And we're going to dig into those uh, further down the conversation. But could you just maybe unpack a high level description of what the SDI or the strength deployment inventory is? Well, what it's going to look at, first of all, is what is your core value system, your core value system that drives everything that you do. So it's different to other tools that look at preferences and things like that. We're first of all identifying what's your core value system that drives everything that you do and also drives how you communicate with others and how you want to be communicated with. But one of the key things it then looks at is, well, what happens when you're triggered into conflict? What your behavior potentially changes and how would your colleagues be able to spot that? when you actually go into conflict. And then we'll talk later on probably about how conflict has three stages. How the first stage where, where I'm still focused on me, the other person, and the problem. But if I get deeper into conflict, it's about me and the problem only. And then if I'm even deeper into conflict, this is about self-preservation. So what drives us? How are we changing conflict? But then we look at the so what on, 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 on this is, well, what can I do about that? where we've got 28 strengths that are described in the SDI, where you can access all of those 28 strengths at any time. So what we talk about with people is be yourself with more skill. I work with 200 students every year, uh, sixth form students, and it's about how can you value each other? How can you respect yourself, but value each other for what they're motivated for? How can you identify what you're doing that's triggering conflict for each other, but keep each other out of conflict? But then I've got these 28 strengths, some of my favorites, some of my least favorites. How can I tweak the way I deliver those strengths in this relationship with this person or in the team to be more effective? And then the fourth view that we look at is what are the things that we sometimes overdo? So I may be self-confident over here and three people say, I love your self-confidence, Steve. It inspires me. I turn around here and think, I know what self-confidence looks like now. I turn over here and two people say, you arrogant so-and-so. I might be helpful over here and it really works. I try it over here and this person says, you're smothering me. So we look at the strengths that we naturally like to deploy, but how we can access all 28 when we're at our best, but how sometimes unintentionally we might overdo a strength for somebody that triggers them into conflict. So value system, how we change in conflict, strengths that we prefer to deploy, and how we sometimes overdo them. So a really good image which is portrayed within the SDI is around uh, values and motives or, and or behaviours and motives. And so the behaviours are, are the boy you see on the on the surface, but the the motives are the anchors, which uh, which um, uh, and the and the and the sort of value system is the anchors which you don't necessarily see. So you see the you see the behaviour on the on the on the the top of the sea, but then you don't see the the fundamental sort of values uh, as the anchors. And I suppose in a way the SDI is trying to get to those values and just show you how the behavior um, is expressed, but, but, but deeper than that, what, what, what internal values you, you, you may have. 
I'll give you a good example of that, if, if you like, which is I was running a workshop three years ago in Bristol. Forty people were, were coming to the workshop. Four of them came into the room early. And I could have assumed, looking at the boy on top of the water, the behavior is they've come into the room early. I could have assumed what was driving that behavior, what anchor was driving that behavior. But I asked them all. I said to one of them, why did you come into the room early? I came into the room early, Steve, because I like to be precise and have my, my, my desk organized. I asked another one. They said, I've come into the room early because I'm meeting new people. And I've come in because I want to build rapport with the new people at my table. Third one said, I came into the room early, Steve, because I worried about you as a facilitator. My concern was for you. And I didn't want to let you down and make sure that we're all here on time. And a fourth one said, I came into the room early, Steve, because the quicker we start, the quicker we get away. So the boy on the water was the same, but the reason that drove that behavior was different. So it, it, it's about talking to leaders and managers that do you really know your people or are you just looking at the boy? Uh, what you need to do is to get to understand the anchor. And to get to understand the anchor, you need to ask questions to be curious and listen with the intent to understand. The last part of that story is that somebody at the back put his hand up and said, I've been in the hotel for an hour and a half, Steve. And I've just come into the room five minutes before the workshop. And I said, well, why did you do that? He said, because I was worried about you. And I know how irritating it is when people come into the room when you're trying to set up the room. So his reason for staying out was the same anchor that was driving somebody else to come in early, caring for me. Yeah. So Steve, looking at the maybe the more origins of the SDI and where it's come from, and maybe looking at some of the famous psychologists, one in particular, Elias Porter, could you speak to some of the organic influences on, on Elias and how the SDI grew out of uh, sort of precepts around Carl Rogers and other influences? Well, there's loads of uh, psychometrics, of course, that, that, that have come out. And a lot of them came out of the same sort of group of people. And Elias Porter was one of one of that group of people. And the the biggest thing that was, was driving him originally was the work of Freud, but not the, the original work of Freud, but the latter day work of Freud. So he started off with that as a, a sort of starting point. But then he was a student of Carl Rogers. And, you know, client-centered therapy about allowing people to discover from themselves. So Elias Porter and Carl Rogers were great believers in allowing people to discover for themselves. And there's some great videos you can see on YouTube of Carl Rogers in some of his counseling um, sessions. He hardly says a word. He asks one question. He never gives answers. And so they were a great believer in that. But then really what he came across was the work of Eric Fromm. And Eric Fromm was, was, was looking at a number of things and, and the orientations that actually drive people's behavior. And of course, a lot of the work that was done in those days was looking at what we could call abnormal behavior or dysfunctional behavior. And Elias Porter wanted to turn that around to say, well, actually, what, what would good behavior look like? What does normal look like in terms of good? Um, so he took a lot of Eric Fromm's work. Um, where he was looking at the negative sides of personality and turned it around into the positive sides of personality. So a lot of the influences were Freud originally, working alongside as a student of Carl Rogers, but then developing the work of Eric Fromm um, particularly. And Eric Fromm, of course, was the one that, that, that originated the concept of overdone strengths. So um, what Elias Porter did was work on that and say, well, what would the positive side of that look like? Uh, and develop the, the strengths and overdone strengths concepts as well. But then 
he, he, he was working with a number of people to develop psychometrics and he wanted one that would help people get to their root core value system uh, in an easy framework that they could understand. And he developed the triangle approach and the, he was the first, this was the first psychometric, by the way, to have colors. And people often say, why is a blue altruistic? Why is a red performance? Um, and it simply is that's what Elias Porter's wife just felt they should be. There is nothing more more um, deep than that, really. Uh, but an interesting part of that relationship with Carl Rogers was as Elias Porter developed this tool, Carl Rogers said, well, I'm, I'm really concerned about this, Elias, because, you know, we're all about self-discovery. You're now creating something that will tell some people about themselves. And Elias Porter said, well, no, I'm giving them a framework to help them explore themselves. I'm not putting them in boxes. Years later, Carl Rogers came back to him and um, started to use the SDI and used the SDI a lot. He said, you're absolutely right. This is a framework to help people start thinking about themselves. So the strength deployment inventory doesn't give you answers. It gives you things that actually will give you a framework to help you understand yourself and other people. So Freud from Kurt Lewin as well, uh, influence, but very much the work with um, Carl Rogers. Yeah. So, Steve, could you speak to sort of what RQ is and how we can use it in day-to-day -day practice? Because if I'm not mistaken, really, you know, there's there's a real interplay between IQ, uh, EQ, uh, and RQ, really. So emotional intelligence, so cognitive intelligence, and RQ, this, this relationship intelligence. Could you maybe unpack it? Well, relationship intelligence, what we're talking about is a relationship is something that forms over time. Um, it's an interpersonal relationship and, and it's not in the moment. Uh, you, you have impact and you have um, may, maybe situations that happen in the moment, but a relationship forms over time. And what we talk about in terms of relationship intelligence is for every relationship, you've arrived at a certain point. And it may be the beginning of a new relationship, or it may be an existing relationship. And what we ask people to do in relationship intelligence is try and recast the past. Because I may say I've had a lot of bad, really, meetings or, or, or communication. I mean, there's a lady on a, on a program recently said, I've not talked to my sister, Steve, in two years. And she said, through the day, as I've been thinking about the framework of the SDI, I've been revisiting, I've been recasting the past on, on what has caused me not to talk to, to, to my sister. I've been challenging my assumptions. I've been changing my perceptions, adding new information. And the information you're adding when you're using relationship intelligence is the framework that helps you understand different personalities, that people are different to you, and that's okay. So she'd use the framework to, first of all, recast the past. Let's revisit some of the situations I've had with my, my sister. And I think I've been misinterpreting her. She's got a different value system to me. And what she meant by that was not what I thought she meant. So recast the past. Let's revisit the past and see where we are in this relationship. But let's understand each other better by understanding what drives us, how we like to be communicated with, to co-create a future together. If we want to have a relationship, then let's co-create a future together. But we need to do that by speaking each other's language. Because sometimes we're just not understanding each other. And in the middle of that is if we can truly recast the past, add new information, challenge assumptions, add a new perspective, 
start to think about co-creating the future, we can master the moment. We can be more skillful in the moment in how we communicate with each other. Because one of the key principles is that today's interactions are tomorrow's past. If we have a bad interaction today, we're now creating uh, a memory from the past. And one of the things we link it into is episodic memory. You know, a lot of our memories, we can picture where we were. We, we can smell how the room was. You know, I can, that, that story I tell about the hotel room in Bristol, I can picture where people were sitting. I can remember the drive. One of the things that's impacted us in, in during lockdown, by the way, is we, we are losing episodic memory because every episode looks the same. So you can't quite recall stuff. So relationship intelligence is about relationships are developed over time. Let's understand those relationships more. Let's understand the core values that have been brought to those relationships, but then how we can adapt our communication to be more effective. It's okay being you. and It's okay me being me. And we don't, we don't talk about change who you are but maybe tweak the way you communicate with each other to be more effective. Be yourself with more skill. So yes, it's got links to, to IQ, um, but the data we're bringing into it is understanding frameworks of personality. Um, and it's got links to emotional intelligence, but where they don't go is how are I, how are I interpersonal relationships? How have they been in the past? How do we want them to be in the future? And how can we change? in that middle piece. And the other part we bring into this is four skills, which is, is really about positive regard. This comes from Carl Rogers. How can we go into any relationship with positive regard for the other person and positive regard for ourselves? And that's difficult to do when you're going into a challenging conversation or a performance review with somebody you find quite difficult. But let's wash out my filter, let's cleanse my, my lens, and see what I can see in terms of their positive intent and positive regard. And then we focus on service orientation. What is it I can do for you as a leader to help you? What is it I would like you to do for me? And then we move on to personal accountability. How can I enable you to be accountable for your own decisions and feel comfortable with that? But let me be accountable for how I am in our relationship as well. And those three skills help the fourth skill of relationship intelligence, which we call strengths-based agility. 28 strengths in, in, we'll talk about later, probably in the SDI. I can access even my least favorite ones when I've got positive regard for the other person, when I'm focused on how I can support them, when I'm allowing myself to be accountable and them to be accountable. I can access even my, my lower ones. So my wife has trusting as her top strength. I have trusting in my bottom rows. Yeah, I don't know whether 28 years of working in a bank put that there, but that's that it's there. That doesn't mean I don't trust people. Uh, it means that I trust them within certain parameters. And then I get feedback from one of my team that says, Steve, your top strength is trusting. The amount you empower me uh, is remarkable. That's because when I'm at my best in my value system, I can access any of those 28 strengths. Yeah. We, we, there's no, when we talk about colors in a moment, there's no such thing as a red person, a green person, or a blue person. We are a blend of all of these motives. Absolutely. And it, it's almost a card array or a spectrum of, of tools in which you can enable and almost zoom in on uh, to, to, to facilitate a wider range of, of, of 
actions and or motivations really what i find it is really empowering and enabling about the sdi is not only does it you write give you insight into some other some someone else it gives you insight into yourself uh and to how you move under conflict and in normal conditions but then that gives you a healthy analog as to how to return to that baseline as well um and how, how to how to move back to that baseline so which which brings me nicely onto the segue of just the motivational value system really and just looking at the motivational value system so what does so so in essence, like you said, there's a blend of of performance, of uh, systems and processes and people, which is red for performance, green for systems and processes, and blue for more uh, altruistic or, or relational people-minded. Could you could you speak to the MVS and, and how that that sort of broken down for people as they as they move through the SDI? So what we first of all do is emphasize that when we're talking about value system, we're talking about what drives you, what interests you, what your priorities are. We're not talking about competence or ability. Um, So you could be a salesperson from anywhere on the triangle. You could be a leader from anywhere on the triangle. You, you, You could be a nurse from anywhere on the triangle. You may be driven towards certain jobs, because of your value system, but you don't become that value system because of your job. So we've got seven, I mean, the triangle is is split into seven sort of areas, but they don't have walls around these areas because we're a blend of all of these things. So you've got the blue value system, as you've talked about, which is very much about people. It's it's my, my top priority, if I'm in the blue part of the triangle, is others, helping others, wanting to, to really be supportive. I would probably put others before me when I'm in the blue part of the triangle. Then you look, and, and, and the sort of things that would trigger conflict for somebody in the blue part of the triangle is often we hear them say, when I'm in a meeting and I see somebody else being um, disregarded, um or or not involved or maybe insulted by somebody i want to defend them it's more about how things are happening to others very much the blue value system now my wife is a blue value system i think she was attracted to the role of being a teacher because of her blue value system but she's not a blue value system because she was a teacher but it doesn't indicate necessarily competence then you've got the red part of the triangle which is more of a priority um on performance I want to get things done. I want to move at pace. Yeah, let's have a meeting where we have a very clear agenda and we have action points and you come back. If you're going to recognize me with a red value system, give me challenging targets, but make sure you recognize me when I achieve them. Very much the red value system. But again, even if you're in the red value system, you will have a percentage of the time where your priority is others. Green is around process, as you already mentioned, which is around, I like to be methodical. I like to have structure. I'm quite actually in the green value system being independent. We often, when we're in meetings or we have workshops, when we have breakout rooms, sometimes somebody is on their own. And if somebody is in the green value system, we say, you're right on your own. They say, yeah, I'm perfectly happy. Just, Just leave me. I'll just work away and I'll come back. So very much independence, structure, methodical. But again, I'm nearer to the green and the red green, which we'll talk about in a moment. But 22% of the time, my priority is people. 
it just looks a bit different sometimes to my wife's 70% priority on people. Then you have a blend between the two. So you might have somebody who's in the red-blue part of the triangle, which is around, I want to deliver performance through people, or I want to deliver performance for people. Now you've got the blue and you've got the red and you've got the red-blue in between. And the red blue is the furthest point from the green part of the triangle. And all we talk about there is that's potentially where you might struggle in relationships. You want to move at pace and help people. That person over there is more focused on process. It may be a potential conflict. to go. Red green, the word strategy is often used uh, when we're talking about red green. I want to deliver performance, but I want to have a plan. I don't want to spend a whole bunch of time planning. We're going to have a plan, but it's a plan to deliver performance. And of course, the opposite part of the triangle to that is the blue part of the value system. So there may be some potential areas there uh, where you can think about my wife's in the blue, I'm in the red green. Yeah. Um, blue green, we, we use the Chinese proverb to describe that. If somebody's in a blue value system, if somebody's hungry, they're probably going to go and catch them a fish, cook it and feed it to them. In the blue-green, I'm more concerned about, I'm gonna teach them how to fish. I'm gonna support you, but I wanna support you to become independent because they're towards that independence part of the green. And in the middle, and this was the last value system that, that Elias Porter identified, it was in Eric Fromm's work as the marketing orientation, but Elias Porter wouldn't use it until he could measure it, and eventually found that he could, is the hub. And the hub is really right in the middle, which is uh, I'm, I'm, I'm adaptable, I'm flexible. I want to include others. I want to collaborate with others. There's a bit of red, blue, green going on in the hub. Now, a lot of people will always say, isn't that the best place to be then? There's no best place to be because it's not about competence. And I'll, I'll just give a quick quick example of that. I was working with a, a group in, in, in Belgium, actually, and most Western European countries were represented in the room and they decided to give all the detailed work you could describe it as the green work if you like the detailed work to one of the team and they chose the german lady that was in the room thought she's going to be precise she's going to be detailed she was a, she was part of the team and she was she was very detailed very precise and very accurate so they kept giving her all this stuff to do and it's when we did the workshop she said i now understand why i've been thinking of leaving and she was in the red-blue part of the triangle. What drove her to get up in the morning was to help people and to help deliver results. She and her boss had not connected her drivers, which was that, to the work that she was doing really well. So what they needed to do was talk about how her accuracy, her detail, her method was helping others and help deliver performance. So we talk about this, which is don't, praise people by speaking to your own value system don't give them developmental feedback by speaking to your value system understand who they are and speak to their value system so the director who walks into a room or a spreadsheet and says sharon the amount of money you've brought in this month is fantastic he left the room thinking sharon was motivated sharon has a blue value system she's thinking all he thinks about is money what he could have done was walk in with a spreadsheet. He understands who Sharon is and says, Sharon, I've been looking at the figures this month. The amount of clients you've helped is fantastic. Same spreadsheet, different words, because he understood the person.
So seven value systems, but don't ever think that you are a red person, a blue or a green person. I predominantly am driven and motivated by red, green, but 22% of the time, my biggest driver is is people. So that's really interesting because I am predominantly red, almost purely red under normal values, but actually move very blue uh, under conflict. And we'll talk about conflict uh, in a second, actually, and how we, the three stages of conflict and how we climb down from those. But as you said, actually, we live and we live in a very um, systems and processes driven world. Every, every, every job has got systems and processes. So you can't not interact with, 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 with the world, which is, which is green, uh, which, you know, a, a lot of organizations, even checking email is a system and process. Uh, but there's, there's an abundance of, of, of systems and processes that you have to go through and what i generally find is my again this is speaks to the to the to the rq around actually i want to get to people but have uh, and influence people but you have to do that through systems and processes and there's an underlying desire for performance there but my my heart really is to connect to people so there's a real meld of performance. I work well with checklists. I really want to t- tick things off. But I, to get to the relationship, to get to the blue, I have to go through the green. And um, and and, you, and you're right. It's a real meld of all three for for, for everyone. Certainly for me. Um, and and it's not identifying certainly with one color because all all of us have to in, engage with all three yeah. of those different. And things. and all of us can. And all of us can. You know, the German lady was was red blue. I could have thought, I'm not going to give her detailed stuff to do. She was brilliant at detailed stuff, but she needs to be driven by, by, by that red-blue. I was talking to an organization recently that, that work in the health sector, and we did a, a data analysis of where all of their people were on the triangle. And predominantly, they're over in the blue-green. Now, that makes sense. They've been attracted to, to what they do um, because of their blue-green value system. And what they started to say to me was, if we're going to deliver high-level performance, Steve, we need to recruit some, some people with a red value system. You may do, but not necessarily. Better off you would learn to speak blue-green. Better off that you think, I'm attracting people with a blue-green value system. How do I speak to blue-green value system about the importance of delivering performance? And delivering performance is going to help process and help people. And this is very common in the, in the NHS. You know, How do we speak to people about the reason you're here is to protect patients, is to look after patients, to care for patients, to save lives. The way we're measuring some of that may be described in a KPI but if you describe it in numbers it doesn't mean any sense to them so speak to their value system when you're setting objectives it's 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 a really uh, a, a key point to remember my wife has lists upon lists upon lists so you could think oh I know boy on top of the water she's got a green value system but I look at why she had lists she has lists so she doesn't let people down it's her blue value system that's driving the reason to have a list it's not I love process yeah. it's really powerful actually and and really really telling and, and helps you navigate the the underlying uh, motivation which is fantastic Steve could you speak to the conflict sequence and you you notion towards the levels of conflict and how conflict changes um, and then if you could just unpack that um, and how we maybe navigate back to that baseline uh, MVS so what sent you to conflict in the first place is, is something that's attacked your value system. 
bloom. It could be that actually people are being, you know, disregarded. I'm seeing others being disadvantaged. That's attacking my blue value system. Red, we're not moving quick enough. We're not delivering performance. Green, we're not following the process here. I'm coming to meetings and well, there's no structure. In fact, I'm coming to meetings. I've got no information. Um, hubs, it could be we're not being collaborative. We're not being inclusive um, and people are not being allowed to speak. Different things will trigger us and attack our value system. Then we move into, we have, a, we have a default position we go to, and all of us will have different default positions, which is our first stage conflict. Something's bothering me and I need to resolve it. And I may go, as you said, it was interesting, we can talk about that in a moment, and you go from red to blue. So we will notice that potential change in your behavior. And maybe you'll, you'll, you're gonna help us in a moment and explain what that looks like. But, but people may go blue first stage. And if they go blue first stage, what they want to do is to accommodate the other person. When we hear them speak about this, they say, I want a calm discussion about this. I want you to hear me. I want to hear you. But actually, what I'm going to do is, is accommodate you because I want this to go away. And a lot of people who go blue first stage will tend to say, we tend to hear people say, they use the word sorry. Um, they will say sorry is the first thing, just to try and calm things down. So I want to accommodate people is a first stage blue. That may be what they're trying to do. Somebody goes first stage red, <clears throat> and they may have come from green. I was down in the green. I'm seeing a lack of structure. I'm not getting information. And suddenly, it's frustrating me. I go to first stage red. I want this sorted quickly. I want it sorted at a pace, and they may be more direct. Then if you go first stage green, which, which predominantly a lot of people do, you move from your value system to green. So you imagine, I mean, use a, a, a demo character we talk about a lot. Amy, she's got a blue value system. She's seeing other people being mistreated. She's come down into green. How we would notice that is Amy's not as warm as she normally is. She's not as talkative, not having as much banter. She may have gone quiet. She may start asking very factual questions. What she's trying to do is to sort out why that's gone wrong. Uh, and often she'll do it by going quiet and sorting it out in her head. She's looking for fact, for detail, for information. But if somebody's come down from the red to green, they suddenly lost a bit of pace and they're asking lots of questions. So only the person themselves can describe what it really looked like. But if you go blue, we want to accommodate. Red, we want to assert. Green, we want to slow things down. If we, if we, have, well, we could have a mixture of those. I might go red, blue in, in first stage, where sometimes I'll accommodate, sometimes I'll assert, or it'll be a blend of the two. Or red, green, where sometimes I'll assert, sometimes I want to analyze. Blue, green is very much about sometimes I want to accommodate, sometimes I want to analyze things. And then you've got people who arrive in the center, which means actually they will alternate between accommodating. Uh, analyzing and asserting in first stage. And the first stage of conflict is key. What we talk about is, is the five keys to managing conflict. Number one, can I anticipate what frustrates me in others' behavior? And can I prevent myself from being frustrated? Because I know if I can, I'll stay out of conflict. And I can also then access adaptable behavior. Can I also anticipate what I might do that irritates some of my colleagues and prevent that from happening? I know if I'm too detailed, 
if I'm, I'm getting bogged down in TSA, it's going to irritate my, my colleague who's got a red value system. If I don't think about the people enough, it's going to irritate one of my other colleagues. So anticipate is the first step. Prevent is the second step. But what we're talking about here is the third step, which is that's not always going to be possible. So how can I identify when I've gone into conflict or one of my colleagues is? And, and for somebody who's traveled a bit of a distance on the triangle from blue to red, green, I'll probably be able to spot it. But some people hardly move in first stage. So a demo character we talk about is Lance. He's got a green value system. And when he goes into conflict, he stays green. How on earth are we going to spot that? And we need to spot it because if we can identify it, then we can manage it and then we can resolve it. So Amy's come to green. I've noticed something's bothering Amy. Amy, what is it that's actually troubling you? And she'll talk about what sent her here in the first place. That's what I need to resolve for her so she can get back to her value system. So we will change behavior potentially, sometimes very noticeably, sometimes slightly. And our focus at that first stage is, is going to have a different thing. It may be assert, accommodate, it, it, it may be analyze. But at least at that first stage, I'm focused on you and what, what this problem is for you. I'm focused on the problem and I'm focused on me. So it's still relatively healthy. So our biggest um, thing we work on is how can we anticipate and prevent by understanding each other better? The biggest thing you can do is anticipate, prevent yourself going to conflict. The lady who said, I've not talked to my sister for two years. She was anticipating and thinking back and, and thinking and, and recollecting. I shouldn't have been triggered by that because her intention wasn't bad. My brother knows I talk about this a lot and he's very happy for me to talk about this. I find my brother sometimes quite abrasive. In, and I used to meet his abrasive with my abrasive. Then I washed out my filter in terms of anticipate, prevent, and thought, why is he coming across like that? Is there some positive intent? I couldn't see any, but then I thought, is there a cause? And the cause was, yes, he feels uncomfortable in public situations, and that's when his abrasiveness comes out. The minute I did that, I met his abrasiveness with empathy and with support. So... Work on yourself first uh, on conflict. Try and anticipate and prevent yourself going into conflict. Sometimes you're misrepresenting somebody's behavior. So first stage, quite healthy. But if I don't get, if I've, Amy's come down to green, she wants details, she wants facts, she wants to work it out. If she doesn't get that, she's going to head off to her second stage. And I don't know what Amy's second stage would be, but it could be she goes red. She now is not focused on the other person. It's about her and the problem. And you could go blue in second stage, green in second stage, red, or a mixture. But this is where it starts to get unhealthy. And then our third stage is all I'm interested in self-preservation. So, I mean, you, you could talk about yours. You go from red to blue. How would we notice that in you? Yeah, so very much so from a, um, a mindset of... Uh, performance or wanting to get things done to to as you were saying before almost an appeasement of relationship trying to get rapport quick rapport and trying to uh, build agreement um, I, I think it's very classic of my background as a paramedic whereby there's you know especially within critical care there's a drop down menu in your mind that you want to get achieved within the first five and ten minutes and then if there is any 
any almost visceral conflict that that appears in that time i almost want to quench that to get back to that baseline of performance so that we can optimize performance but i'll move quite quickly like you said my hour is really long and so you'll see a dramatic shift in me to try to try and steward relationship um and sometimes it's not always possible in the moment especially when there might be a dying patient in front of you or indeed a number of clinical demands but my heart really is for performance through relationship and if that relationship is faltering then that's definitely my my first stage is is to try and get back to that um even it, it, mostly in private so what i'll do is i'll try and pull the person aside and and just try and steward good rapport with them active listening uh, to get back to to get back to performance but if not um then i will try and break it down further as time permitting but it's re- it was really interesting doing the sdi for myself steve because i could really articulate that and, and see th- that play out actually in reality and then uh, uh, and then look look how i steward myself in that in, in that first stage of of dramatically moving into blue and and, what's the and worst how thing I, I could do what's the worst thing i could do at that point that would send you further into conflict probably a, a lack of agreement or lack of report or or a, a further um conflict with me so a, a real offense or an anger yeah. or letting your emotion drive you um which would then send us into probably the, the the next stage of of conflict. And what is your next stage? So my next stage is 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 green, and that yeah. would be right. Let's look at the facts and figures. Let's look at where we've fallen short of 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 our our sort of subconscious or non-spoken contractual agreements which is that we'll all be professional with each other. We'll all seek to seek to do the best job, and. And then I'll, I'll really unpack the, but it's it's not just green, it's blue green. So it, it's a mixture right. of, of blue green because it's still relationship based. Yeah. Because what I still want to do is win you over, and I still want to get on your good side to get back to the red eventually. But there is an element of self preservation in that, as you were saying earlier, yeah. which is you know I want to preserve my own role, my own. Um, my own equanimity, my own feelings, my own emotions in that in building rapport with you so there's 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 almost a selfish desire in that third stage which is that i want to have a good experience in this and in doing so i want to bring you along and and and, and that's just being candid and honest and that's great thanks for that and that that's so useful because what we can say is in any color the mvs version of that color is different to first stage version of that color which is different to second stage version so your third stage it sounds like is red funnily enough you started off with red as your value system your red value system when you're at your best is completely different to how you are if you go red in third stage which is last resort and that's what people need to recognize that the healthy version over here in the value system is completely different to third stage. So when I, when I arrive at blue third stage where I'm going to either compromise or accommodate, it's not a healthy blue uh, and it's not the, the, the blue value system. So spot your, your colleagues and the change in behavior. If you've got a short arrow like Lance, the demo character we talk about has, you owe it to your colleagues to flag up something's bothering me. Otherwise, you'll be at second stage and it's harder to resolve. Whatever we look at in second stage, people are digging their heels in. 
the the and I always think the best version of me was lost when I was in MVS and first stage. I've now my persuasive when I'm at second stage conflicts turning into abrasive. Yeah, uh, if if you're if you're supportive, it's probably turning into self-sacrificing by the time you got to second stage. Yeah, so methodical is starting to look like obsessive. When I'm at second stage, it's about how quickly can I get the other person to see I'm right. So keep yourself in your MVS position by anticipate, prevent. Spot you and your colleagues at first stage so you can still have challenging conversations but not allow it to become personal to stop yourself getting to second stage. I think that's really valuable because then you can have um, you can have positive debate without it being tr- triggering into 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 almost like you said that personal domain of of, of sacrificial sacrificing relationship. Yeah, somebody said to me when I was coaching, he said I had a conflict with Fred and I've resolved it, Steve. I said, Have you? Do you talk to him as much as you used to? No, I don't. Does he ring you for advice like he used to? No, he doesn't. I said, You haven't resolved the conflict. You've resolved the issue. If we don't resolve a conflict with somebody but we've resolved the tough negotiation, then we'll get back in a meeting room and we'll start off in that position we, we, we ended the previous meeting. I think they're arrogant and obsessive. I go into the meeting, they're starting off being arrogant and obsessive. So resolve the conflict between you as people as well as the issue. So Steve, as we're coming to land on the conversation, just if we could just briefly visit the last two domains, which is the strengths portrait and the overdone strengths portrait. As you were saying before, it's a bit of a drop-down menu of your preferential strengths versus your non-preferential strengths, but they're, they're all, all 26 of them are available to you. Could you maybe just um, highlight that and, and maybe expand on that concept? Yeah, and this works for teams as well because we end up with team composite strengths, which is really valuable for a team to look at. And they've got 28 strengths. They've got seven blue, um, seven red, seven green, and seven hub strengths. And these were originally came from Eric Fromm's work, which Elias Porter worked on, but revisited in 2014 by Dr. Tim Scudder to make sure they still were appropriate, and 90% of them were. But, but basically, we can deploy any of those 28 strengths as long as we attach the reason to our own value system. You can be flexible in how you use these. You've got favorites at the top. You've got some in the middle, and it's in a diamond shape. And you've got some at the bottom. Like I said, trusting is, is, is down there at the bottom for me. It doesn't mean I don't trust people. It just means um, I need to put some work in to do that. So when I was working with a team on this, a, a large public sector organization that are going through a change program, we had a set of cards with the 28 strengths. And we decided, if you're going to really drive this change program, how do you need to behave as a team to drive it? Then we compared it with how their portrait looks at the moment. And it was there were some differences. They needed, they had trusting as a team, composite team trusting was near the bottom. They decided to drive a change program effectively. They need to empower and trust others. So there's some conversation became about, well, why? Why are we going to value being trusting and empowering people? But how are we going to be able to do it and still sleep at night? Because it's not a natural strength that we have. So it's about making sure you attach that reason to your value system, but then deploy it in a way that resonates for the person who's receiving on the receiving end of that, but also in a way that works for you. And and I'll give a, a, a really good example that a chief exec and their team, I'm working with them, and we're talking about overdone strengths in the team. 
And um, I said, which one irritates you most, Chief Exec? The rest of the team are here. And she looked at the bottom of her overdone strengths, and she has inconsistency. Inconsistency is not something she overdoes, but she said it, it really irritates when other people are inconsistent. And the second one, Steve, that really irritates me is indifference. And indifference she defined as when people don't care. I said, so that really irritates you about, about people and about the team. What could cause somebody to look indifferent other than your perception they don't care? And she said, well, they're not contributing at meetings. They've got no ideas, so they clearly don't care. And I said to her, let's think about some other things. Let's wash out your filter. Let's, let's recast the past. What might be causing them to come across like that? She then looked at her own overdone strengths. And her DOP overdone strength was domineering. And she said, oh, my goodness, I'm dominating meetings. I don't intend to, but I am. And that's causing them to come across like that. So we then switched to her strengths portrait and said, well, look, in future meetings, and she had a red value system, by the way, in future meetings, what strengths do you need to deploy to make this more effective? And she said, I really need to, my bottom strength, Steve, is reserved. I need to practice that in meetings. I need to shut up and allow them to speak. Two rows from the bottom is tolerant. I need to be more tolerant because they do take ages to get to the point. But when they get there, it's usually a good point. And I need to use inclusive, which is halfway up my strengths. So she's now deciding from her strengths portrait to use her bottom one, tolerant, which is not very high, and inclusive that's in the middle. I said, really? Are you going to do it? Then I said to her, give me a red reason why you should even bother being reserved tolerant and inclusive and if she hadn't given me a red reason i knew she wouldn't she wouldn't do it and she said if i shut up if i allow them to speak if i draw them in i'm going to get more ideas if i get more ideas and they contribute i'm going to get greater commitment with more ideas and greater commitment steve i'm going to get better results so she immediately had the drive to use these different behaviors. That didn't mean it was going to be easy or she could do it because they're not her favorites and they never will be her favorites. But she said, can you sit in on the next four board meetings and see how I get on? First time, she was dreadful. She dominated the meeting. Second time, she went the other way and she was so quiet, she didn't contribute. Third time, she started to get into a rhythm of using reserved when appropriate, using tolerant when appropriate, and using inclusive. And not only that, she made a commitment to the team she was going to do this. So they, they bought into the fact she's just not pretending. By the fourth meeting, they're beginning to get a rhythm where people contributed. Now, there would not have been a fourth attempt if she'd not connected the reason she was doing it to her value system. And she she had to deploy them in a way that made sense for her, for a reason that made sense. They still wouldn't be her favorite strengths. Reserve's never going to be her favorite strength, but she can use it. And like, like we were saying before, having that card array of tools that you can that you can use that, that aren't necessarily coming naturally to you, but but facilitate the wider team and facilitate the, the high performance of the team and and or just the transparency and vulnerability of the team, getting them on board, getting getting the rapport and allowing them into the into into the meeting is hugely valuable. And again, that belies RQ, you know, relationship intelligence, looking at what how how you are and how what you're projecting versus versus what they are contributing so steve just as we're coming into land on the conversation could you just maybe just leave us with just um 
in your mind, how valuable a tool you see SDI is in navigating complex environments, really, because we all live and move in, in, in some of these complex environments within workspace. And, and I very much see the SDI as an internal compass to guide us through some of these workspaces. How do you perceive it? Absolutely right. Things are complex and probably the most complex thing of all are human beings and relationships um, and ourselves. And having this framework helps you, if you get to know each other, if you get to trust each other, if you truly understand each other, suddenly the biggest and most complex problem is manageable because you manage it together with each other. Um, and, and, you know, part of, of, of what we enable people to do is, is that team I worked with, for example, they can all then connect with each other on the relationship intelligence, the core strengths platform, and see each other's value systems. They can see how get communication tips on a mobile app. So it's all now at your fingertips. The school children I was working with were all, while I'm running the session, working on a mobile app, looking at their results. But then they're able to send connection requests to each other so they can see each other's results if the other person accepts. So they went away and built their house teams of 10, 20 people so they could see them as a group on the triangle, see where they all go into conflict and see their strengths. We don't allow them to see their overdone strengths on, on that platform, but they're allowed then to have good, rich conversations about, because there'll be communication tips that says, when, when I'm with, with yourself, I better move a bit quicker than I normally do. I better not get bogged down in detail. Let's make sure. If I'm sending a message to the chief exec, it, it actually gives me a hint and a tip. As soon as I'm about to do an email, it says, bring the action point to the top, Steve, because you get bored if you do. When my colleagues send emails to me, they always said, I really welcome your insight, Steve. And immediately I see that I'm in. So managing complex situations challenging situations is easier if we understand each other having tools at your fingertips that give you hints and tips and awareness on a mobile app and on the platform because if they just if if people just go through a workshop and understand that that's not really the point the point is how can you help you use this to navigate relationships and situations on a day-to-day -day basis Trust is what it's all about. Getting to know each other is about building trust. This has never been more important today. Uh, and you know, during lockdown, we really needed to look after each other. And um, sometimes the people forgot that the most senior person in the room needs looking after as well. Absolutely, that that really belies self care, which is which is fundamental, really, and fundamental in teams as as an, an, an individual basis as well. Um, absolutely, Steve. Listen, it's been fantastic speaking with you, and just walking through the SDI has been hugely helpful for me and other people that I've taught it to. But getting your anecdotal experience has also just been fantastic. So uh, thank you okay. for the conversation. Thanks for the opportunity. <laughs>